Chapter Seven of Anne of Geierstein by Sir Walter Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Let him who will not proffered peace receive, be sated with the plagues which war can give, and well thy hatred of the peace is known, if now thy soul reject the friendship shown hools tasso the confidence betwixt the landamman and the english merchant appeared to increase during the course of a few busy days which occurred before that appointed for the commencement of their journey to the court of charles of burgundy the state of europe and of the helvetian confederacy has been already alluded to but for the distinct explanation of our story may be here briefly recapitulated in the interval of a week whilst the english travellers remained at geierstein meetings or diets were held as well of the city cantons of the confederacy as of those of the forest the former aggrieved by the taxes imposed on their commerce by the duke of burgundy rendered yet more intolerable by the violence of the agents whom he employed in such oppression were eager for war in which they had hitherto uniformly found victory and wealth many of them were also privately instigated to arms by the largesses of louis the eleventh who spared neither intrigues nor gold to effect a breach betwixt these dauntless confederates and his formidable enemy charles the bold on the other hand there were many reasons which appeared to render it impolitic for the switzers to engage in war with one of the most wealthy most obstinate and most powerful princes in europe for such unquestionably was charles of burgundy without the existence of some strong reason affecting their own honor and independence every day brought fresh intelligence from the interior that edward the fourth of england had entered into a strict and intimate alliance offensive and defensive with the duke of burgundy and that it was the purpose of the english king renowned for his numerous victories over the rival house of lancaster by which after various reverses he had obtained undisputed possession of the throne to reassert his claims to those provinces of france so long held by his ancestors it seemed as if this alone were wanting to his fame and that having subdued his internal enemies he now turned his eyes to the regaining of those rich and valuable foreign possessions which had been lost during the administration of the feeble henry the sixth and the civil discords so dreadfully prosecuted in the wars of the white and red roses it was universally known that throughout england generally the loss of the french provinces was felt as a national
degradation and that not only the nobility who had in consequence been deprived of the large fiefs which they had held in normandy gascony maine and anjou but the warlike gentry accustomed to gain both fame and wealth at the expense of france and the fiery yeomanry whose bows had decided so many fatal battles were as eager to renew the conflict as their ancestors of cressy poitiers and agincourt had been to follow their sovereign to the fields of victory on which their deeds had conferred deathless renown the latest and most authentic intelligence bore that the king of england was on the point of passing to france in person an invasion rendered easy by his possession of calais with an army superior in numbers and discipline to any with which an english monarch had ever before entered that kingdom that all the hostile preparations were completed and that the arrival of edward might instantly be expected whilst the powerful cooperation of the duke of burgundy and the assistance of numerous disaffected french noblemen in the provinces which had been so long under the english dominion threatened a fearful issue of the war to louis the eleventh sagacious wise and powerful as that prince unquestionably was it would no doubt have been the wisest policy of charles of burgundy when thus engaging in an alliance against his most formidable neighbor and hereditary as well as personal enemy to have avoided all cause of quarrel with the helvetian confederacy a poor but most warlike people who already had been taught by repeated successes to feel that their hardy infantry could if necessary engage on terms of equality or even of advantage the flower of that chivalry which had hitherto been considered as forming the strength of european battle but the measures of charles whom fortune had opposed to the most astucious and politic monarch of his time were always dictated by passionate feeling and impulse rather than by a judicious consideration of the circumstances in which he stood haughty proud and uncompromising though neither destitute of honour nor generosity he despised and hated what he termed the paltry associations of herdsmen and shepherds united with a few towns which subsisted chiefly by commerce and instead of courting the helvetian cantons like his crafty enemy or at least affording them no ostensible pretence of quarrel he omitted no opportunity of showing the disregard and contempt in which he held their upstart consequence and of evincing the secret longing which he entertained to take vengeance upon them for the quantity of noble blood which they had shed and to compensate the repeated successes they had gained over the feudal lords of whom he imagined himself 
the destined avenger the duke of burgundy's possessions in the alsatian territory afforded him many opportunities for wreaking his displeasure upon the swiss league the little castle and town of ferret lying within ten or eleven miles of bale served as a thoroughfare to the traffic of Bern and Solur, the two principal towns of the confederation in this place the duke posted a governor or seneschal who was also an administrator of the revenue and seemed born on purpose to be the plague and scourge of his republican neighbors archibald von hagenbach was a german noble whose possessions lay in swabia and was universally esteemed one of the fiercest and most lawless of that frontier nobility known by the name of robber knights and robber counts these dignitaries because they held their fiefs of the holy roman empire claimed as complete sovereignty within their territories of a mile square as any reigning prince of germany in his more extended dominions they levied tolls and taxes on strangers and imprisoned tried and executed those who as they alleged had committed offences within their petty domains but especially and in further exercise of their seigneurial privileges they made war on each other and on the free cities of the empire attacking and plundering without mercy the caravans or large trains of wagons by which the internal commerce of germany was carried on a succession of injuries done and received by archibald of hagenbach who had been one of the fiercest sticklers for this privilege of fostract or club law as it may be termed had ended in his being obliged though somewhat advanced in life to leave a country where his tenure of existence was become extremely precarious and to engage in the service of the duke of burgundy who willingly employed him as he was a man of high descent and proved valor and not the less perhaps that he was sure to find in a man of hagenbach's fierce rapacious and haughty disposition the unscrupulous executioner of whatsoever severities it might be his master's pleasure to enjoin the traders of Bern and salur accordingly made loud and violent complaints of hagenbach's exactions the impositions laid on commodities which passed through his district of la ferrette to whatever place they might be ultimately bound were arbitrarily increased and the merchants and traders who hesitated to make instant payment of what was demanded were exposed to imprisonment and personal punishment the commercial towns of germany appealed to the duke against this iniquitous conduct on the part of the governor of la ferrette and requested of his grace's goodness that he would withdraw von hagenbach from their neighborhood but the duke treated their complaints with contempt the swiss league carried their remonstrances higher 
and required that justice should be done on the governor of la ferrette as having offended against the law of nations but they were equally unable to attract attention or obtain redress at length the diet of the confederation determined to send the solemn deputation which has been repeatedly mentioned one or two of these envoys joined with the calm and prudent arnold biederman in the hope that so solemn a measure might open the eyes of the duke to the wicked injustice of his representatives others among the deputies having no such peaceful views were determined by this resolute remonstrance to pave the way for hostilities arnold biederman was an especial advocate for peace while its preservation was compatible with national independence and the honor of the confederacy but the younger philipson soon discovered that the landamman alone of all his family cherished these moderate views the opinion of his sons had been swayed and seduced by the impetuous eloquence and overbearing influence of rudolph of donnerhugel who by some feats of peculiar gallantry and the consideration due to the merit of his ancestors had acquired an influence in the councils of his native canton and with the youth of the league in general beyond what was usually yielded by these wise republicans to men of his early age arthur who was now an acceptable and welcome companion of all their hunting parties and other sports heard nothing among the young men but anticipations of war rendered delightful by the hopes of booty and of distinction which were to be obtained by the switzers the feats of their ancestors against the germans had been so wonderful as to realize the fabulous victories of romance and while the present race possessed the same hardy limbs and the same inflexible courage they eagerly anticipated the same distinguished success when the governor of la ferrette was mentioned in the conversation he was usually spoken of as the bandog of burgundy or the alsatian mastiff and intimations were openly given that if his course were not instantly checked by his master and he himself withdrawn from the frontiers of switzerland archibald of hagenbach would find his fortress no protection from the awakened indignation of the wronged inhabitants of solor and particularly of those of bern this general disposition to war among the young schwitzers was reported to the elder philipson by his son and led him at one time to hesitate whether he ought not rather to resume all the inconveniences and dangers of a journey accompanied only by arthur than run the risk of the quarrels in which he might be involved by the unruly conduct of these fierce mountain youths after they should have left their own frontiers such an event would have had in a peculiar degree the effect of destroying every purpose of his journey but respected as arnold biederman was by his family and countrymen 
the english merchant concluded upon the whole that his influence would be able to restrain his companions until the great question of peace or war should be determined and especially until they should have discharged their commission by obtaining an audience of the duke of burgundy and after this he should be separated from their society and not liable to be engaged in any responsibility for their ulterior measures after a delay of about ten days the deputation commissioned to remonstrate with the duke on the aggressions and exactions of archibald of hagenbach at length assembled at geierstein whence the members were to journey forth together they were three in number besides the young bernese and the landamman of unterwalden one was like arnold a proprietor from the forest cantons wearing a dress scarcely handsomer than that of a common herdsman but distinguished by the beauty and size of his long silvery beard his name was nicholas bonstetten melchior sturmthal banner-bearer of Bern, a man of middle age and a soldier of distinguished courage with adam zimmerman a burgess of solur who was considerably older completed the number of the envoys each was dressed after his best fashion but notwithstanding that the severe eye of arnold biederman censured one or two silver belt-buckles as well as a chain of the same metal which decorated the portly person of the burgess of solur it seemed that a powerful and victorious people for such the swiss were now to be esteemed were never represented by an embassy of such patriarchal simplicity the deputies travelled on foot with their piked staves in their hands like pilgrims bound for some place of devotion two mules which bore their little stock of baggage were led by young lads sons or cousins of members of the embassy who had obtained permission in this manner to get such a glance of the world beyond the mountains as this journey promised to afford but although their retinue was small so far as respected either state or personal attendance and accommodation the dangerous circumstances of the times and the very unsettled state of the country beyond their own territories did not permit men charged with affairs of such importance to travel without a guard even the danger arising from the wolves which when pinched by the approach of winter have been known to descend from their mountain fastnesses into open villages such as those the travellers might choose to quarter in rendered the presence of some escort necessary and the bands of deserters from various services who formed parties of banditti on the frontiers of alsatia and germany combined to recommend such a precaution accordingly about twenty of these selected youth from the various swiss cantons including rudiger ernest and sigismund arnold's three oldest sons attended upon the deputation they did not however observe any military order or march close or near to the patriarchal train on the contrary 
they formed hunting parties of five or six together who explored the rocks woods and passes of the mountains through which the envoys journeyed their slower pace allowed the active young men who were accompanied by their large shaggy dogs full time to destroy wolves and bears or occasionally to surprise a chamois among the cliffs while the hunters even while in pursuit of their sport were careful to examine such places as might afford opportunity for ambush and thus ascertain the safety of the party whom they escorted more securely than if they had attended close on their train a peculiar note on the huge swiss bugle before described formed of the horn of the mountain bull was the signal agreed upon for collecting in a body should danger occur rudolph donnerhugel so much younger than his brethren in the same important commission took the command of this mountain bodyguard whom he usually accompanied in their sportive excursions in point of arms they were well provided bearing two-handed swords long partisans and spears as well as both cross and longbows short cutlasses and huntsmen's knives the heavier weapons as impeding their activity were carried with the baggage but were ready to be assumed on the slightest alarm arthur Philipson, like his late antagonist naturally preferred the company and sports of the younger men to the grave conversation and slow pace of the fathers of the mountain commonwealth there was however one temptation to loiter with the baggage which had other circumstances permitted might have reconciled the young englishman to forego the opportunities of sport which the swiss youth so eagerly sought after and endure the slow pace and grave conversation of the elders of the party in a word anne of geierstein accompanied by a swiss girl her attendant travelled in the rear of the deputation the two females were mounted upon asses whose slow step hardly kept pace with the baggage mules and it may be fairly suspected that arthur Philipson, in requital of the important services which he had received from that beautiful and interesting young woman would have deemed it no extreme hardship to have afforded her occasionally his assistance on the journey and the advantage of his conversation to relieve the tediousness of the way but he dared not presume to offer attentions which the customs of the country did not seem to permit since they were not attempted by any of the maiden's cousins or even by rudolph donnerhugel who certainly had hitherto appeared to neglect no opportunity to recommend himself to his fair cousin besides arthur had reflection enough to be convinced that in yielding to the feelings which impelled him to cultivate the acquaintance of this amiable young person he would certainly incur the serious displeasure of his father and probably also that of her uncle by whose hospitality they had profited and whose safe conduct they were in the act of enjoying the young englishman therefore pursued the same amusements 
which interested the other young men of the party managing only as frequently as their halts permitted to venture upon offering to the maiden such marks of courtesy as could afford no room for remark or censure and his character as a sportsman being now well established he sometimes permitted himself even when the game was afoot to loiter in the vicinity of the path on which he could at least mark the flutter of the grey wimple of anne of geierstein and the outline of the form which it shrouded this indolence as it seemed was not unfavourably construed by his companions being only accounted an indifference to the less noble or less dangerous game for when the object was a bear wolf or other animal of prey no spear cutlass or bow of the party not even those of rudolph donnerhugel were so prompt in the chase as those of the young englishman meantime the elder philipson had other and more serious subjects of consideration he was a man as the reader must have already seen of much acquaintance with the world in which he had acted parts different from that which he now sustained former feelings were recalled and awakened by the view of sports familiar to his early years the clamour of the hounds echoing from the wild hills and dark forests through which they travelled the sight of the gallant young huntsmen appearing as they brought the object of their chase to bay amid airy cliffs and profound precipices which seemed impervious to the human foot the sounds of halloo and horn reverberating from hill to hill had more than once well-nigh impelled him to take a share in the hazardous but animating amusement which next to war was then in most parts of europe the most serious occupation of life but the feeling was transient and he became yet more deeply interested in studying the manners and opinions of the persons with whom he was travelling they seemed to be all coloured with the same downright and blunt simplicity which characterised arnold biederman although it was in none of them elevated by the same dignity of thought or profound sagacity in speaking of the political state of their country they affected no secrecy and although with the exception of rudolph their own young men were not admitted into their councils the exclusion seemed only adopted with a view to the necessary subordination of youth to age and not for the purpose of observing any mystery in the presence of the elder philipson they freely discussed the pretensions of the duke of burgundy the means which their country possessed of maintaining her independence and the firm resolution of the helvetian league to bid defiance to the utmost force the world could bring against it rather than submit to the slightest insult in other respects their views appeared wise and moderate although both the banneret of Bern and the consequential burgher of salur seemed to hold the consequences of war more lightly than they were viewed by the cautious landamman of unterwalden and his venerable companion 
Nicholas Bonstetten, who subscribed to all his opinions. It frequently happened that, quitting these subjects, the conversation turned on such as were less attractive to their fellow-traveller, the signs of the weather, the comparative fertility of recent seasons, the most advantageous mode of managing their orchards and rearing their crops, though interesting to the mountaineers themselves, gave Philipson slender amusement, and notwithstanding that the excellent Meinherr Zimmermann of Soleur would fain have joined with him in conversation respecting trade and merchandise, yet the Englishman, who dealt in articles of small bulk and considerable value, and traversed sea and land to carry on his traffic, could find few mutual topics to discuss with the Swiss trader, whose commerce only extended into the neighboring districts of Burgundy and Germany, and whose goods consisted of coarse woolen cloths, fustian, hides, peltry, and such ordinary articles. But ever and anon, while the Switzers were discussing some paltry interests of trade, or describing some process of rude cultivation, or speaking of blights in grain, and the murrain amongst cattle, with all the dull minuteness of petty farmers and traders, met at a country fair, a well-known spot would recall the name and story of a battle in which some of them had served, for there were none of the party who had not been repeatedly in arms, and the military details, which in other countries were only the theme of knights and squires who had acted their part in them, or of learned clerks who labored to record them, were in this singular region the familiar and intimate subjects of discussion, with men whose peaceful occupations seemed to place them at an immeasurable distance from the profession of a soldier. This led the Englishman to think of the ancient inhabitants of Rome, where the plough was so readily exchanged for the sword, and the cultivation of a rude farm for the management of public affairs. He hinted this resemblance to the landamman, who was naturally gratified with the compliment to his country, but presently replied, May heaven continue among us the home-bred virtues of the Romans, and preserve us from their lust of conquest and love of foreign luxuries. The slow pace of the travellers, with various causes of delay which it is unnecessary to dwell upon, occasioned the deputation spending two nights on the road before they reached Bale. The small towns or villages in which they quartered received them with such marks of respectful hospitality as they had the means to bestow, and their arrival was a signal for a little feast with which the heads of the community uniformly regaled them. On such occasions, while the elders of the village entertained the deputies of the confederation, the young men of the escort were provided for by those of their own age, several of whom, usually aware of their approach, were accustomed to join in the chase of the day, and made the strangers acquainted with the spots where game was most plenty. 
these feasts were never prolonged to excess and the most special dainties which composed them were kids lambs and game the produce of the mountains yet it seemed both to arthur phillipson and his father that the advantages of good cheer were more prized by the banneret of Byrne and the burgess of solur than by their host the landamman and the deputy of schwitz there was no excess committed as we have already said but the deputies first mentioned obviously understood the art of selecting the choicest morsels and were connoisseurs in the good wine chiefly of foreign growth with which they freely washed it down arnold was too wise to censure what he had no means of amending he contented himself by observing in his own person a rigorous diet living indeed almost entirely upon vegetables and fair water in which he was closely imitated by the old grey-bearded nicholas bonstetten who seemed to make it his principal object to follow the landamman's example in everything it was as we have already said the third day after the commencement of their journey before the swiss deputation reached the vicinity of bale in which city then one of the largest in the southwestern extremity of germany they proposed taking up their abode for the evening nothing doubting a friendly reception the town it is true was not then nor till about thirty years afterwards a part of the swiss confederation to which it was only joined in fifteen o one but it was a free imperial city connected with bern solur lucerne and other towns of switzerland by mutual interests and constant intercourse it was the object of the deputation to negotiate if possible a peace which could not be more useful to themselves than to the city of bale considering the interruptions of commerce which must be occasioned by a rupture between the duke of burgundy and the cantons and the great advantage which that city would derive by preserving a neutrality situated as it was betwixt these two hostile powers they anticipated therefore as welcome a reception from the authorities of bale as they had received while in the bounds of their own confederation since the interests of that city were so deeply concerned in the objects of their mission the next chapter will show how far these expectations were realized End of chapter seven